0: Hello. And this is a public service announcement from the kind people behind the Paddock Pass podcast. This is an episode which focuses on the MotoGP preseason ahead of the 2020 season. And it pays particular attention to the final preseason test that took place in Qatar. My name is Neil Morrison. I'm on this particular show with uh, David Emmett. Um, now, however, we must uh, add in just a little precursor to this show because it was recorded pretty soon after the test. ...in Qatar and uh, well it's going to be going out live on the internet for everyone to listen to at the start of March and now obviously quite a lot has happened since uh, we recorded the show, namely the the quite uh, striking news that the MotoGP race in Qatar will not take place on the 8th of March as scheduled, it has been cancelled... And instead, we'll just have Moto2 and Moto3 classes performing there as, uh, as they were, really. Uh, then, of course, we were due to go to Thailand later in March. That has been postponed more than likely to some date in September. And as it stands, speaking here on the uh, 4th of March, we are due to get the GP season for 2020 underway on the 5th of April in Texas at the Red Bull Grand Prix of the Americas. But... With the world situation being the way it is, everything being affected by the, uh, the ever-increasing threat posed by uh, the coronavirus, uh, there's no absolute guarantees that we'll be getting underway in Texas at the moment. It's a very strange situation for pretty much everyone uh, involved, but it's one that we're just going to have to take uh, week by week. So that's just a, a little warning of, uh, of where we are. The show's just a little tiny bit out of date whenever we recorded it. Uh, but there's still plenty of uh, juicy uh, gossip and uh, news, uh, idle speculation as well in this uh, episode that comes ahead. So from everyone at the Paddock Pass podcast, I hope you enjoy it and we'll be back with more content soon.
1: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Paddock Pass podcast. My name is David Emmett and with me down the line in the uh, sunny Barcelona, I don't even know if it's sunny or not, is uh, the very handsome Neil Morrison who is freshly back from the barbers. Um, how are you and your brand new haircut, Neil?
0: Very well, thank you, David. Yeah, freshly shorn, and uh, suggesting you might need to go and uh, have your uh, eyesight fixed for uh, that, uh, that introduction you've just <laughs> given there. But yeah, pretty good, thanks.
1: Very good, very good. So, um you are just back from uh, Qatar, uh, first trip away. It was a, it's a bit of a sort of a quiet and a strange Test, um, because there are so few journalists. I mean, I was at the and there was I don't know maybe fifteen or twenty journalists there in total. Uh, but you were there was just a, a, a tiny little band there, wasn't there?
0: Yeah, there was. Yeah, it was me and uh, three other three other journalists, uh, three TV crews, including Dorna. So um, yeah, it was quite strange being in the media center. I think at one point there were three people from. The island of Ireland, north and south, in the media centre, and only two. <laughs> so I think it's maybe the first time in history that uh, Ireland has been the most represented nation, both north and south, in, uh, in one of MotoGP's media centres. So there's always a always a, a positive tinge in these things.
1: Yes, indeed. So the crack was mighty.
0: Yes, exactly. Turned all the way up to 90. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> Very good. Um, well, I mean, it's been fairly, uh, it, it was an eventful test. There was uh, a lot going on. Um, So I think what we need to do is sort of take a look at the tests and and, uh, a look forward to what that means. Obviously, the test at Qatar um, is a bit of a strange one because everyone is finalising what they have to do, um, finishing up uh, all of their development work, but also preparing for the first race.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, But yeah, there was lots of interest there. I mean, um, we saw pretty much who was in good shape. I think uh, Suzuki, Yamaha... Uh, They were making small refinements to their packages. Um, Aprilia were obviously doing a lot of endurance tests, reliability tests with their bike, which is still very, very new. Uh, Honda was leaving it very late, very late indeed, to uh, I think even decide on their their 2020 configuration. Um, And Ducati, I think we're still doing some pretty experimental setups and things and uh, I'm sure we'll come to this a bit later but uh, obviously some pretty um, interesting innovations in that garage as there always seems to be uh, each pre-season that we have so um, yeah lots to kind of lots to pick through lots to keep an eye on and uh, it was interesting
1: yeah I mean to start with Honda as you say they were very late they did they seem to um, leave it until about the last sort of thirty minutes to uh, figure out um, uh, what they were going to do with their twenty twenty bike, um, uh, I think we had uh, uh, approximately three hours of uh, Honda in crisis headlines. Yes, and then after the that, Honda we-
0: crisis, klaxon please. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly, um, uh, but then after three hours, it was some, uh, Honda finds magic solution to all their problems. <laughs> uh, what? what happened explain what happened to us
0: um well
1: because it all it all kicked off on the last day really didn't it
0: yeah but although it had been bubbling because the first day was by no means great and then the second day was just nothing short of disastrous for all three guys that are on the 2020 honda this year that's uh, the two marquez brothers in the repsol garage and then crutchlow as well um and on the end of the second day i think marquez was 14th said he was very worried uh, Alex Marquez had a kind of thousand-yard stare that you would normally associate with uh, returning war veterans, and Carl uh, Crutchlow had cancelled his media debrief, which is usually a sign that things have gone spectacularly well uh, in his corner. When <laughs> yeah, when he uh, leaves the circuit early um, without having done his media duties, so um, yeah, things were really complicated. Um, it was just a... I I mean, it, it does seem that Honda has not made any steps forward in where it was weak last year um, and that was with the, the front of the bike and it does seem that they have issues um, with the front end pushing and they were not really so pronounced as Topang but in Qatar um, where you have quite a lot of long bends fast bends um, and right handers of course it is the right shoulder in which Mark Marquez is still recovering Uh, His strength after a a pretty big operation at the end of November Um, It just seemed that the the Qatar track and the conditions were really um, Underlining just how how weak they were In terms of uh, stopping the motorcycle and also um, pitching into the corner of the turning It just did not seem to be working at all
1: you know, there were a lot of crashes. I mean, cal um, uh, Crutcher had a big crash on uh, the second day, which is the Sunday. I find it very difficult to separate which day is is which, but he had a big crash on the second day. Uh, Marquez had, well, well, sorry, Mark, that would be Mark Marquez. Um, did he have one or two crashes at Qatar? But he had, a, he had a crash on the second day as well, which he said he just didn't understand how it happened. Um, what what exactly, I mean, what did they find out in the end?
0: Um, well, yeah, I mean, they both, both had crashes. Mark had a crash, I think, uh, turn eight where you're, you're changing direction at, at speed and the front tucked away. And yeah, as you say, he wasn't really un- able to understand it. Um, and yeah, things just looked pretty disastrous. But, um, but then as you mentioned earlier, uh, they did manage to, well, turn it round, uh, sort of late in the day and they were just basically throwing everything, the kitchen sink at the, uh, the 2020 bike or, any bike, it seemed, because they took one of uh, Takanakagami's 19 bikes. Uh, Alberto Puig told us on the final afternoon that uh, they even had pieces from the 18 bike, which I kind of found quite difficult to believe that they would still be knocking around the paddock. Um, and they were trying, trying different configurations with different things, um, trying to work on why they were having this issue with the front end. Um, and by the end, I think Marquez... It wasn't extraordinarily fast, um, and I was looking through his race runs. He, I don't think he did any more than six laps in a row. Um, but one of those runs late in the uh, late in the evening, um, he was able to get down to pretty consistent low one minute fifty fives. And when you look at uh, the fastest pace of the final day, um, I mean that was maybe Fabio Quartararo aside, that was the, the kind of the fastest pace. So you would have to say that. Mark for six laps or five laps at, w- at least seemed to have recovered. Um, you know the speed that we that we expect would maybe be uh, podium pace. Um, and he said they were trying lots of different things. I think they had a new chassis uh, with some um, carbon attachments to it they were trying aerodynamics from last year's machine which I think made quite a big difference as well um, but they said yeah there was lots of different things lots of different setups and, and parts that they were putting together um, to try and, and find a way and he seems, to have, uh, he seems to have made some progress he was certainly uh, very very relieved um, on the final night and uh, as you say some of those uh, Honda in crisis headlines were made to look just a little bit uh, premature and silly
1: for sure. I mean, they seem to have got through about six boxes of black paint as well, because they were swapping, uh, stealing other people's bodywork and sticking that on them um, from uh, from garage. A lot of the old uh, uh, old fairings, as they were trying out the old uh, the old aerodynamics. It looks like the new aerodynamics, um, because the thing is, when you're designing aerodynamics, um, uh, you have a model you can you can model stuff on computers and then you put models in uh in wind tunnels uh but of course even if you put a, a, a put a rider on the bike it's not the same as when you actually start putting a rider on a bike when he's put, pitching the bike into the corner uh, or, or whatever it changes the dynamics of the bike and it looks like the that new era which was a little bit sort of more pointy at the end uh, at the front it seemed to be a little bit more angled in the inside that seems to be having a big effect on the um uh, 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 on the feeling on the on the front end as the bike was turning, that 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 seems to have been a big part of it. But uh, Cal Crutchlow was saying that he still had that same sort of pushing into the uh, uh, pushing in, into the corners, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. Whenever he was trying to decelerate, he said that um, yeah, there just wasn't that sort of confidence whenever he was pitching in, um, and um, he certainly was hinting throughout the test that it was, you know, an, an engine issue. Um, he was saying that it's, after Sepang, he thought there were maybe two or three things that could have been causing this, but testing at Qatar proved that it was just one thing, and he was certainly quite doubtful as to whether there's any, there's enough time, basically, between now and the first race, whenever the engines are sealed. Um, that's, what, 10 days away uh, for them to try and uh, remedy this and fix this. And we know that this was an issue last year that they had... Uh, especially at the start of the year. Mark has managed to find a solution which he just about f- found workable. But Crutzel was going through the whole year basically feeling that, um, yeah, I think it was like that engine braking setting um, was just upsetting the front end as ever as, as he kind of pitched in. So, yeah, um, the conclusion I would take away from this is that uh, Mark has probably found a setting that can just about work for him. Yeah. Um, but it looks like it's going to be another long year for the other Honda guys. Uh, Alex Marquez, you know, was nowhere at this test, really looked like he got lost. And Cal was uh, talking about needing to uh, work miracles once again on this bike uh, to be able to achieve good results. So, um, yeah, perhaps not so surprising to hear that Honda has once again just thought, well, as long as Mark's comfortable, we'll be okay proved a relatively uh, successful strategy in the last couple of years but um if you're kyle crutch i can imagine you're feeling slightly frustrated by it now
1: what can we take away i mean what does this mean for the first race at qatar um obviously you know the honda had similar issues here uh, last year but um um marquez still ended up on the podium he still ended up finishing up second just fractionally behind uh andrea dovicioso um where do we think you know where do we think they're going to be finishing next year
0: uh at the first race you mean
1: at the first oh yes yeah, sorry at the first race yeah I'll, yes i'm getting my years and <laughs> years and weeks and days and i don't know <laughs> when you get to my age neil
0: yes yes one one of us is slightly jet lagged and uh, recovering from long <laughs> travel <laughs> but you'd be yeah, surprised but, but, which yeah, one it is <laughs> Um,
1: yes yeah well uh, for, i mean you're lucky you're uh, you can get over jet lag and you can't get over terminal um uh, whatever it is that's uh, that's affecting <laughs> me
0: yeah um yeah i think it's worth pointing out that um honda has always had a bit of a nightmare at the Qatar test it's very i think 2018 in recent history is the only time um when things were straightforward and we came away thinking, oh, yeah, they've got a really settled bike and a really good bike for this year. Um, the other years, it's always been a bit bit more complicated. I mean, 16 was nothing short of a disaster. I think we could actually say that Honda was in crisis at that moment. Um, yet, Marquez, I think, finished third in the first race and won the next two. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it's very, very difficult to tell um, because going off last year, Maverick Vinales was fastest On each of the three days Kyle Crutchler was 17th De was 14th I think At the end of uh, day three Davizio won the race Crutchler was third And Vinales was uh, unable to to make good On the potential and one-off pace That he had been showing um, You know through testing And uh, indeed during the race weekend So sometimes it does Throw up a few misnomers or two Um, But I I just can't help but uh, Get the feeling Judging Crutchlow, Judge, and Alex Marquez—that you know this is a, a very difficult motorcycle to ride once again. And yes, when you have the best rider of the generation uh, at the helm, he can make the difference. But um, you know, for for mere mortals. Um, I think it could be quite, quite a tough year for, uh, for Honda.
1: The difference for me between 2019 and 2020 last year and this year, I think is that the, the Honda seemed to be a little bit faster in comparison to the other bikes last year. This year they seem to have not really made much progress whereas the Ducati's got uh, got a little bit faster uh, the Suzuki has got a little bit faster the Yamaha has got a lot faster I mean they're still much slower than the than the or they're still slower than the Honda or the Ducati but you know the difference isn't as uh, exaggerated as it was in the past is that going to it it's it's like they've pulled one of Mark Marcus's sort of advantages he could uh, catch up just using the horsepower on the straights and then manage the corners and now he's going to have to manage the corners a little bit more it, it feels like
0: yeah it definitely does feel like that because Jack Miller clocked I think 355 kilometers per hour on the final day which is just uh, staggering really I think the fastest speed during the race weekend last year was Marquez in the race that was 352 and that was with a uh, pretty substantial slipstream that he was getting along the front straight. So for Miller to be making that, I think he uh, he compared his bike to a ballistic missile. Um, so yeah, Ducati have definitely taken another step forward in the top speed department. Um, and yeah, Honda might not quite have that uh, that weapon. But you know, saying that though, if they're in a fight with Rins or Vinales, you still think that um, they'll be able to uh, make make hay on whatever straight that we're at. Um, or uh, make hay on the street at whatever circuit we're at. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say the uh, the top speed's a, a, d- a disaster or anything, but, um, yeah, it does seem that Ducati's got just a little bit ahead there.
1: Turning to the Ducati, I mean, I didn't really, even in Sepang, you didn't really get a clear idea of what they were working on. They've got a new engine. Uh, they've got a new chassis, which turns a little bit better. Uh, uh, and obviously they've got this, um, uh, well, new, this new, he said, using air quotes, uh, uh, whole shot device slash squatting device, uh, s- uh or what Matt Oxley dubs the shapeshifter, which is uh, basically lowers the rear out of corners. Um, that again, that was something which uh, I think our friend Peter McLaren identified uh, from pictures that he'd been using since uh, that Jack Miller had been using since Thailand last year. Um, it does seem like uh, the bike is faster. Um, Jack Miller seems to be very happy with the way that the bike is sort of turning and handling, but uh, Dovey was not the happiest person in the world. It felt like he didn't seem he didn't seem particularly sort of upbeat but or is that just uh is that just his personality
0: <laughs> yeah no he didn't seem that upbeat really um yeah it's i kind of uh, share your reservations on uh, making any direct calls to to as to what chen Ch- can do this year because um yeah i think up until the final day they were still experimenting with parts and and quite radical setups i think uh, jack miller sort of we were chatting to him before his debrief started on uh, the second day and uh, he said uh, we just need to uh, effing stop uh, trying to reinvent the wheel for once and uh, try and get a setup (laughs) together so um it did seem that um you know testing was going on Right up, until the, right up until the last with them And then when you looked at um, Petrucci and uh, Di on the final day They did a, a kind of mini race simulation Together on track Both of them riding together And you know what, Petrucci was actually really, really strong uh, And Davizioso wasn't far away either Quartararo was, I think, head and shoulders above the race The rest in terms of race pace On the final day But then after that it was uh, I think Petrucci, Morbidelli, Rins and Davizioso um so you know Ducati obviously has a fantastic record that uh at Los Isles. Davizios has won there the last two years running um so it's a it's a good bike there um and that top speed will definitely definitely come in handy because we saw how much that affected the race last year I think range was probably the fastest guy on track last year but just could not make it work could not keep ahead when it got to the, the start and finish straight so um Yes, with uh, with Chikadi, that could uh, that could well happen again um, this time around. And um, but yeah, you it, it's tough to say. It really is tough to say. There wasn't so many complaints about understanding the new Michelin rear uh, at Qatar compared to Sepang when Davizioso seemed a bit flummoxed really by the new characteristics of it. But um, but yes, when I asked him about those turning issues, he said yeah, an improvement, but there's still quite a big limit there compared to the other bikes. So. Um, I mean that—that's really, I think, what matters most. And when we get to tracks like Assen, Ring, mid-season, where Ducati had a real slump last year, I mean that's going to really—it's going to really cost them because Suzuki and Yamaha have not stood still.
1: Looking at the—I I was looking at some of the the, the long runs which uh, riders did, and I was surprised that Petrucci. Petrucci had a really, really strong. A uh, race simulation on uh, uh, on the final day. He looks to be, you know, all, not quite as quick as the Yamahas, but uh, but uh, not far off. That's got to be quite um, uh, that's got to be quite good as well. Because the other thing is, he did I think twenty two or twenty three laps, which is actually a little bit more than, um, uh, uh, than which is one lap more than race distance, and and his times really weren't falling off. He was still doing fifty fives at the end of the at the end of his run. So it's. Um, um, let's see, yeah, it's, he was doing fifty-five four, fifty-five seven, fifty-five four, and that was on laps 21, 22, 23 so it looks like the bike is in pretty good shape
0: yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah um, not a million miles away um, and we maybe thought at Sepang that they were going to be quite far away, but um, I mean, Ducati showed in previous seasons that if it has a really, really spectacularly fast motorcycle which accelerates well and has great braking stability, then they can do very, very well, uh, exceptionally well, uh, on a lot of race tracks. Um, however, you just kind of think to to go that extra that extra step. They really need to address this turning issue. And uh, while well, Davicio certainly doesn't seem to think that they've made that uh, or they've done that uh, this winter, so um, yeah, difficult to. I mean, uh, yeah, I think the Ducati guys are going to win races again this year. You could probably see Jack Miller step up and win maybe one or two races for sure. But um, whether that package will be enough to uh, you know, to take take the title, um, well, remains to be seen.
1: Speaking of this sort of shape-shifter device, because obviously it's becoming something of a tradition for uh, the uh, other factories to uh, lodge a protest um, uh, against Ducati. Uh, at Qatar because they've come up with something uh, they certainly hadn't uh, I didn't see anything particularly radical in terms of uh, aerodynamics at, um, at Qatar there weren't uh, all sorts of new extraneous bits being added um, this shapeshifter might be sort of this thing that they're, the, the the next big thing did you get any any sense from for example the other manufacturers that they were protesting it or was it just oh okay now we've got to build one
0: yeah, no, I think it was yeah the ladder. what you just said there. Because, I mean, it is within the rules. It's not operated electrically. It's not electric. Uh, the suspension isn't electronically adjusted. It's uh, all kind of riders doing it manually um, via uh, a switch on their uh, left handlebar. Um, so, yeah, I think I asked um, A lot of people have obviously been testing the uh, the whole shot device, Yamaha. I think Honda as well. Uh, there's talk of Suzuki and uh, KTM having one in place for the start of the year Um, and uh, yeah Mark Marquez was saying that basically he's been trying one for a whole shot device for Honda, it hasn't quite been reacting as he would like Um, he did intimate that they were maybe going to be working on something more than the whole shot device uh, for maybe some of the months ahead so I wouldn't be surprised if we saw this maybe being introduced by other factories um, somewhere down the line because we we checked with um, you know with Danny Aldridge, the, the technical director, and um, I mean, he would have need he needed to have been told about this before Ducati raced it. And as Miller told us, it was in Thailand last year. Um, and Danny likes to try and keep things quite confidential, you know, doesn't want to obviously betray the uh, the factory's trust. So he, whenever we showed him photos of Miller's bike on the exit of uh, of certain corners at at La he was trying to act surprised, like "Oh wow, I've never seen that before." But obviously, you know, he had been briefed. Um, so yeah, um, from his side, from the rule side, yeah, it's uh, it's totally legal.
1: Did you get any explanations for how it worked, or uh, are we left to figure that out on our own?
0: Yeah, the the factory boys uh, were given absolutely nothing away, absolutely nothing. Uh, but we had, I think, about a minute, a minute and a half with Jack Miller, in which he was talking quite openly about it. Um, and he was saying, look what happened to me at the start of the Thailand race last year. You thought I just uh, stalled the bike. It was basically, you know, two extra buttons on a handlebar. And he was trying to find his launch control and just got a bit confused and accidentally turned the bike off. Um, but yeah, he said that uh, it takes a little bit of getting used to. Um, it's another thing to consider, um, you know, when you're coming out of the corner to try and activate it. Pekka Banyaya was saying it's difficult because on a MotoGP bike, straights are so short. Um, and, you know, you have to really try and find the rhythm to get used to it. Um, but uh, but Miller said, yeah, there's a real notable difference um, on corner exit. And uh, just in terms of keeping the front wheel done, it's a fantastic um, anti wheelie device, it seems. And uh, I think that's where, well, that's where it's intended to get the biggest gains. And that's where he said he felt the biggest difference.
1: Yeah I mean the, of course the benefit of an anti-wheelie device is that um uh, or a uh, a different kind of anti-wheelie device is that you can then have run a little bit less uh, uh, anti-wheelie from the wing mm. which means you have got less drag at the end of the straight at very high speed which means you are going even faster so maybe yeah. um some, some of that 355 that Jack Miller was clocking at the end of the straight was uh, uh, was was in part down to down to this
0: Exactly. And another thing, Matt Oxley was uh, speculating in his uh, excellent blog for uh, Motorsport magazine um this week, he was saying that um it is possible that when the bike is at that shape going down a straight, perhaps it is more aerodynamically uh, agile than if the rear end is uh, sat at its normal height. So
1: Yeah, you're you're also yeah, you're also lower and so you've yep. you know you have less of a um uh, you know you you prevent presenting less less frontal area and so that helps that helps as well
0: exactly and you think about your your back you know when you're like lodged down the air is hitting the kind of uh, the middle of your back and then your your bum uh, but if you're kind of squatted down towards the rear of the bike then that drag at the back of your body will will not be there so that also could be a could be a reason for miller's uh, high speed
1: yeah, and uh, Jack Miller was um, uh, did a very good job, a job of promoting his uh, uh, leathers and helmet brands as well, saying it's one of the most aerodynamic on the grid. Um, um, but uh, w- whether that's uh, true or not, so what what can we expect? Can Can Dovey win the race, win the season opener at Qatar again? Is it he, as he's done for the last two years?
0: Yeah, I think he can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I think he can and I think it, the top speed is going to be the, the big thing uh, I spoke to uh, an engineer that works for Suzuki uh, at the end of the final day and he said that uh, should Rins, Mir, and Vinales make it into the first turn qualify really well make it into the first turn and somehow magically build one second advantage at the end of the first lap they can escape for sure however as we've seen in Qatar in previous years, that top speed, like you there's a really really long straight, and uh, well, if Ducati's are able to hit three five, three three five four three five five, I mean that's a that's a big obstacle to overcome for uh, Suzuki and Yamaha. So uh, yeah, I think I think Ducati's definitely within a chance.
1: Yeah, I, I, it was interesting because I was looking at Maverick Vinyales's uh, top speed, and that wasn't too shabby either. I mean, it was up in the—I um, uh, think his top speed was three forty-five or three forty-six. Uh, and if you look at Dobby's top speed, it was just under—it was a shade under three fifty, I think. Um, uh, so it's not as if they were—they weren't like ten k down anymore. They were four or five k down, and that's a—that's like a that, that might be enough to sort of stay. Uh, stay in the slipstream and maybe try and get past. So it could be um uh, it could be a bit of a cat and mouse game uh, 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 as well. And the the question is is the is the start and finish straight going to be in the right uh, uh, in the right place for uh, you know, is it far enough along the, along the straight for the Ducati to actually uh, get past? Should they enter the corner, uh, the, the the last corner behind someone?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, one of the big mysteries remains, you know, regarding Yamaha. I think Rossi was saying on the second day, um, if he can stay in a slipstream, if he can stay there right with the bike ahead, then you know it means he'll be able to attack. But going off last year, um, he wasn't able to. He wasn't even able to do that. Um, so, yeah, it, I guess we'll have to see it at the, at the first round whenever everyone's together on the straight. Um, it's, it's quite difficult to know who's riding with who whenever you're looking through the uh, the analysis that you get at the end of a test. Um, but, uh, but Yamaha and Suzuki, they seem to have made small gains, but I wouldn't say they're, they're that much closer. And certainly Miller, he was saying the only bike that he could see that's made real gains on the straight is the Aprilia um so yes so I don't know yeah I think Ducati is still pretty well placed in that regard
1: yeah uh, it, uh turning to Yamaha because they seem to have come out of the test um as favorite you know it's been Maverick Vinales and Fabio Quartararo uh at the top of the timesheets just about every single day of the test um only Alex Rins and Mark Marquez um uh, are the only other only other riders to have, to have topped the timesheets. And, uh, obviously Alex Rins on the first day of the Qatar test. Um, just looking at the pace, I mean, Fabio Quattararo's race pace was phenomenal. And, uh, Maverick Vinales didn't seem to do a, a, you know, a proper race simulation either on, on either Sunday or Monday. Um, but even then his long runs, you know, 10, 11 laps, uh, they were pretty ferocious. They were pretty fast. and, and, the, they didn't seem to slow down at the end either
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly um, Yeah, Vinales I think was in the 54s More than anyone else combined uh, On the first day um, And then as you said He didn't really do a, a race simulation On the, uh, the days after that But he was pretty upbeat um, I mean, we've called him Marty Maverick On a, occasions in the past Because he does have a, a tendency To be a bit downcast and a bit gloomy uh, When things aren't going his way But you know, he does seem extraordinarily relaxed um and upbeat um, whenever he's talking to us and uh well you know that's uh that's 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 saying you know I think quite a lot about where he is but you know he is the, the king of testing. Um the proof of the pudding will be on March the eighth, you know, and I'm I'm really reluctant to make any any calls that we've that we're gonna see a different rider um than the one we've seen and we've been frustrated by in previous years. Uh, the starts are always a, obviously a, a thing that he needs to work on the first couple of laps or something that he needs to work on. He seems to have spent a lot of time uh, trying to address that in testing. Um, but whether he'll be able to make it work on a Sunday, uh, we're going to have to wait and see about that.
1: Speaking of Maverick, uh, Maverick Vinales' move, um, uh, our friend Tammy Garali um, went through, I think, uh, Maverick's debrief on the second day and he managed to say the word happy uh, about 10 times in in the space of about three minutes uh, which is virtually unheard of um, uh, obviously Yam have been working on this they also that they've they debuted their uh, whole whole shop device which seems to work similarly to the Ducatis in that it lowers the rear of the bike um, they debuted that at Sepang and they tested it again at uh, Qatar um, did anyone give any feedback about that? Did they talk about that at all?
0: Um, yeah, there was you know some positive comments, but nothing too definitive. They weren't really willing to give that much away. Um, I was speaking to someone who was down in Pit Lane uh, on Pit on the Pit Wall, actually uh, watching the uh, the practice starts because that's where they would go out at the end of uh, each day after the test had finished for ten minutes and do some practice starts around the track. Some of them were. Uh, we're basically on the grid. And uh, yeah, this person was telling me that Vinales' starts were really not very good compared to the others. So, <laughs> you know, that's why I'm quite reluctant because, you know, you could quite easily foresee him qualifying on pole again and then end in the first lap in eighth or ninth and it's just then it's the same old story really. So, um, yeah, everything looks good. I mean, you have to say, if you look at it, if you take a, take a step back and, and look at the, the entire situation, um, you know, Think things could not be more ideal for Vinales right now. I mean, this really is his big chance. Um, you know, he's he's finally part of Yamaha. You could say he's Yamaha's lead rider. The factory's in a really good place. Everyone seems to be pulling in the right direction. He's got his contract sorted for two thousand and twenty-one and two thousand and twenty-two. Honda struggling just a little bit. Ducati don't seem to have made many big steps forward. He's got a settled team, he's got his own personnel that he wants in his side of the garage. I mean, everything is there for him to 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 at least fight for the championship this year. Um and now it's up to him to do it.
1: Yeah, now all he has to do is deliver. The other rider that really made an impact was Fabio Quartararo. I mean, his his race simulation was just ferocious. Um he didn't seem to have any problems. I think he was still doing 54s at the end of his long run. Um he's been quick. Um Obviously, Maverick Vinales has been spending less time on, you know, a single fast lap. Um, Fabio Quartararo was still doing that because of uh, mostly due to youthful exuberance, I think. Uh, but they, but his team managed to calm him down a little bit. Uh, what do we think about Quartararo? Obviously, from what what Fabio did last year, everyone is expecting this to be. Um, well, it's hard to call it a breakthrough year because he had a breakthrough year last year. But it seemed, you know, everyone is expecting him to really start uh, battling for wins uh, often. Did you get that vibe from him? I mean, it's a pang to me. He seemed really calm, uh, very happy, very, very, you know, stress free. Not, not at all concerned. He was saying, you know, don't, still don't have to really perform. Um, uh, you know, top five, top five. I have to be top five every race, and uh, and and podiums would would be nice. But I think the entire world would be quite disappointed if he was, uh, um, if he was, you know, only managing the occasional podium.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. Um, I think he's just trying to manage expectations, which is uh, probably a wise thing to do, considering he's still just twenty years old. Um, But yeah, Fabio looks really, really fast. Um, it's interesting he was saying that the uh, the 2020 Yamaha um, he still doesn't quite feel as comfortable he f- says it's more difficult to reach the limit on that bike um, and indeed he said he was quite thankful that he made his rookie campaign on the 19 M1 because that was a bit more soft and docile whereas this seems to be I don't know just um, he, he didn't really go into specifics but he said just um, yeah quite difficult to, to push to the absolute limits but I mean if you look at the, the speed he's been as fast uh, throughout pre-season testing on the 20 bike as he was you know towards the tail end of last year so it certainly hasn't affected him in that regard um and of course he uh he he made a bit of a hash of uh, the grid last year he stalled on the grid had to start from pit lane but he did set the fastest lap in that race and um i think he uh well he was uh, he was pretty sensational through qualifying didn't he qualify in the second row so it's you know he's he's, yep. he's always been great um at qatar um at the first race nearly won his first race in moto three back in 15 i think he impressed in his moto two debut two years later i think he was inside the top six in his first race maybe top eight so you know it's a track that he really likes suits the yamaha um so i think he'll be there as well
1: yeah i mean the, the interesting thing about the yamaha was i heard at uh Sepang, a whisper someone had overheard some uh, yamaha engineers talking about the uh about the new bike and saying oh it won't turn it won't turn um, but there doesn't seem to be much evidence of it not turning because it's plumbing fast for a bike which doesn't turn. Um, there is one Yamaha rider who seems to be struggling a little bit more than the others, and it's it's not Franco Morbidelli on the um, uh, on the uh, tuned up no, 2019 bike.
0: No, it's uh, Valentino Rossi on the 2020 bike. Um, Rossi, who was full of uh, laughter and cheer after uh, the second death of testing in Qatar really upbeat, things seemed all well in his world because he was fast, he was consistent and then he started doing longer runs on the, the final night and uh, lo and behold, um, he found that uh, yeah, just the uh, conservation of the rear tyre wasn't really working, um, rear tyre started spinning up and just uh, losing grip, um, yeah, kind of around 10 laps in and this was obviously an issue which really affected Rossi last year while it, you know, the opposite could really be said about Vinales and Quadraro. Um, they were strong right the way until the end of the race. Um, we saw their pace through testing, Vinales, Quadraro, even Morbidelli, fantastic pace with lots and lots of laps on a tyre. But uh, Rossi, not sure what uh, what the problem is. I mean, he's changed his crew chief. It's a new bike, but that issue remains, and he did say that he was quite worried uh, by the developments on the final day. So, yeah. Quite, uh, quite tough to hear that if you're, uh, if you're a Rossi fan and you're, you're kind of crossing your fingers that he'll be, uh, extending his stay in MotoGP, uh, beyond this season.
1: Yeah. I mean, it seems like because he didn't seem to have this issue in, um, in Sepang, he, did, he seemed to be...
0: Yeah, he said Sepang was grand, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's just specifically a Qatar. So is this going to be uh, a down to the track? Because obviously, mm. Qatar is a strange track because it is. Um, uh, there's so much wind and there's so much dust and sand which gets blown onto the track, uh, which makes the track very abrasive. Um, but is this a just... You know, just just coincidence, or is it down to um, Rossi still losing out in terms of his riding style, needing to adapt his riding style, um, or just is he getting a little bit too old? Dare we say it?
0: Yeah, possibly. I mean, it it is always so tough to read into testing because Sepang, for instance, you look at Sepang the past two seasons, and uh, you know Rossi's enjoyed some of his best races there. Uh, One of his best races in 19 uh, was at Sepang, where he finished fourth, just missed the podium. And then he had that fantastic, uh, you know, leading from the front performance in 2018. That was probably his best performance of that year at Sepang. So Sepang, you know, hasn't been somewhere where he's suffered in the past. Um, Saying that, Qatar hasn't been somewhere that he's suffered either. He's always been strong there and missed the podium by, what, seven-tenths of a second last year. Um,
1: six six tenths of uh, six seconds tenths.
0: okay yeah so not that much in other words um so it's tough we're going to you know I think with Rossi we're going to really know at Le Mans Mugello because the last couple of years he's always uh, started the season pretty well um and uh you know come away from America and Argentina scoring a couple of podiums and uh you know showing really really good speed but um yeah that that i think will definitely be a, a concern um and it's the fact that they just don't know what the what the reason is we know Rossi's is a bit taller and a, a bit heavier than the likes of cordero and Vinales. um but you know for this to still be a real issue um yeah it's concerning
1: yeah uh, just turning to franco morbidelli for a moment because he had a really good test as well he looked quick he looked consistent he had a good race run um he's been testing the uh carbon fiber swing arm i think which none of the 2020 uh riders uh have been testing um but he also he just seems to have made sort of a bit of a step forward
0: yeah yeah morbidelli looks looks really good relaxed as always um yeah I, like Vinales, I kind of, I'm going to have to wait and see what happens on the, uh, at the race because, um, you know, there's a couple of occasions last year, Mategi and Sepang, most notably, when you looked at, the uh, FP4 pace and you thought, wow, Franco could be, could be on the podium, maybe even better. Um, but, um, you know, so much of MotoGP and being successful in it is being able to adapt to the conditions there and then. And it seems that Franco, kind of like Vinales at the start of a race, um, you know it does take him a bit of time to to come to terms with the characteristics of the of the track uh, obviously after Dunlop sorry obviously after a uh, Moto2 has been out laid lots of Dunlop rubber down um, but yeah in terms of pace he was I mean a few, few riders were as good as him at the test so yeah it's going to be really interesting yeah
1: I think next up we have to turn to uh, Suzuki um they seem to be in pretty good shape. Juan Mir has made a huge step forward, you know, as you expect in uh from a rookie. He was he was pretty strong at the end of last year, uh and uh since the beginning of this year he's been very very quick and um uh, he's starting to be a bit of a concern for his teammate it feels like.
0: It does, yeah. One of the funny stories that I heard from uh, Qatar was uh, on the first day, with around 15 minutes remaining of the day, the track went completely quiet. It looked as though everyone had uh, done their work for the day. Joanne Mir was fastest in the timesheets. And then... Uh, with ten minutes to go, Alex Rins suddenly uh, sauntered out of pit lane and uh, proceeded to put uh, two very fast laps together. Laps together, indeed. And I thought, oh, you know, it's uh, it's Rins. Obviously, qualifying was an issue for him last year. He's trying to. Trying to do a bit of practice in that front, but what I heard from uh, one or two people in Spain was that it was uh, primarily with the purpose of uh, demoting Joanne Mir off the top of the uh, the timesheet. So uh, yeah, there seems to be a really nice little rivalry developing in that uh, in that garage between the two Spaniards, and uh, yeah, Mir is certainly given uh, Rin some uh, some food for thought.
1: Do you get the sense that um, as you know, as we were saying, they they had real problems with qualifying last year? Um, the bike was fantastic, and the way that you know Alex Rins could literally ride around the, the outside of people was almost embarrassing. Um, but uh, they just couldn't make the thing go fast over a over a single lap. It, it, it certainly felt at Sepang that they'd made a step forward here. Um, what about Qatar? What did you what did you feel there?
0: Uh, well, you know, Rins was fast um, at Qatar, but um, certainly speaking to people from uh, Joanne Meir's crew. Uh they were quite yeah a bit frustrated that um that pace over a single lap uh was still lacking um they said you know we know that Suzuki uh, Suzuki's really good at conserving his tires, apparently Mir was doing um perform- like lap times on a rear tire which had twenty five twenty six laps on it that were still really really competitive, but it's that um yeah, it's kind of getting the most out of the new tyre, which is uh, proven to be quite problematic for him. Um, so, yeah, I didn't get the impression that they had made big strides with that, no. Um, one interesting thing was, apparently at Sepang, uh, Sylvain Gintoli uh, had a new chassis to test. After the first day, he said, guys, this is really quite a big perf- improvement. But they only had one chassis, so they give it, I think, to Rins a day and Mir, a day, and both of the guys said it was quite good. So when we got to um, to Qatar, there still was only one chassis, and uh, it was given to Alex Rins for the whole test. So um, yeah, so he was pretty happy with that. And apparently, for the start of the year, I think Mir's is going to continue with the uh, well, let's say the current chassis, uh, the one that he's been testing with. Uh, and some people in Mears' garage believe that that chassis that Rins has could be worth up to two tenths a lap. So uh yeah, so they were pre- they seem pretty confident that once uh Mir got a hold of that new chassis then um well he'll be really knocking on the door. Uh certainly off his teammate anyway.
1: Yeah and again it's uh, how shall we put this delicately it's uh, interesting that um, uh, uh, everything is going to Alex Rinz's garage and I'm sure that's got nothing to do with Alex Rinz demanding um that uh, nothing go uh, go to the other side of the garage if it's uh, if it's a bit of an advantage I mean it, it's a problem for Suzuki because they're such a small factory that it's, uh it, 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 you I mean you think it's easy welding a frame but it it's not it's very very specialized uh work uh actually doing it putting it all together and making sure that it's exactly the same every single time um the 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 tolerances in racing are much much uh smaller than they are in 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 production bikes so it's not that much of a surprise that they that suzuki can't produce these things you know just just churn them out um but it does feel like it's almost starting to hamper them a little bit, just because of uh, just because they you know that they they can't produce these things to order.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was interesting speaking to both those guys um, during the test. Obviously, this new Michelin rear tire has a bit more edge grip, um, and the Suzuki guys were saying that basically just you know we we heard so much that last year's bike turned on a sixpence saying that even in that department they feel they've made a step forward over the winter Um, part of that might be because of the rear tyre but um, you know if you thought you saw some spectacular feats from Rins last year you know, riding around the outside of guys and and pulling off moves where you least expected it Um, you know I think we're going to see something similar this year Um, and yeah well I mean last year we saw Rins and Mir I think up at the front of the Qatar race Um, you know I think yeah you would definitely say Alex Rins will be in contention for a race win. Uh,
1: so what do we expect to see the Suzuki's do at, uh, at Qatar? Are they, uh, you know, they, they seem to have close to the race pace of Vinales and Quartararo. Um, are we going to see them managing to, you know, succeed do as well?
0: I think so. I think so. Yeah. I think we'll, uh, we'll see them up there. Certainly. Um, Yeah, as you said, David. Like, it's always such a strange racing guitar, isn't it? You know, with with the track conditions, sometimes riders trying to conserve rubber. Um, Last year, Davizioso was making his way to the front and then deliberately slowing the pace down. I was actually just looking at the uh, the race pace from last year, and at some points they were doing like fifty sixes, whereas at the test there they were doing you know high fifty fours. So. You know, so much depends on strategy and entire and, and conservation. But certainly what Michelin have been saying um, is that the kind of race we saw in Qatar last year, a big group of guys uh, together, basically not willing to, to, to burn up the, the rear tyre too much, basically they, they won't have those concerns this year because Michelin are really confident that they've made such a, a step forward in terms of uh, rear tyre endurance. Um so yeah so it, it's I don't know it's uh, it's really tough to I'm looking into my crystal ball at the moment I'm not really getting anything too clear right now but I do have the I do have the impression that Suzuki will be up there and competitive.
1: Yeah exactly you need to give your crystal ball a bit of a polish Neil. Um the um uh, 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 speaking of polishing uh, Aprilia. Uh, I'm glad you Aprilia said that. Aprilia were the the aprilia made a huge step forward in uh, in Spain the new bike is obviously a lot better um but it did sort of have a little bit of a tendency to uh to blow up um or well no not blow up but uh, certainly um it didn't like it uh, it didn't like trying to do 20 laps um uh, again the aprilia uh, the, the aprilia was fairly competitive in um in Qatar but again, there seemed to be it seemed to have a lot of problems. We saw Alicia Barrow um, have a bit of a lie down um, uh, Bradley Smith putting in a lot of laps. What can we say about the Aprilio about where it is?
0: I think we can say that you know the potential of the bike is very, very high indeed, um, probably on a good day it can be a top 6 bike in MotoGP gp without you know crashes or, or mechanical issues um however with the bike essentially being finished a month ago um i think we are likely to see uh, maybe some reliability issues maybe a loss of performance towards the end of races um possibly some kind of um really up and down showings, you know, good at one track in certain conditions and then, you know, wildly off in another. Um But I think, you know, by the end of Qatar, Alish was uh, was pretty satisfied, um, because the the first day um he said he wrote out of pit lane and almost immediately was posting one minute 54 lap times which is very competitive but when the uh the sun went down and the temperature cooled um he was miles off and then the next day he said it was the exact opposite he was miles off during the day but when it got cooler suddenly it became competitive again so it's you know it's a very new motorcycle they're obviously still trying to understand uh how it reacts to these conditions um he was pretty consistent on the final night though um but bradley smith was basically just there. Uh, and I think his, uh, he was doing race runs on the first day, so I think he said that, that that demonstrated what his role was at the Qatar test, and that was just to make sure that everything on that bike uh, could perform well after 10 laps, after 15 laps, after 17 laps, and there was no loss in performance. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I, I was messaging you during the test, David, whenever Bradley was actually coming into the pits after one of those long runs, the pretty technicians had this, it looked like this massive leaf blow, blower uh, contraption. One of the technicians would come out and just start like blowing what I'm assuming was cold air on the, the exhaust uh, and basically along the side of Bradley Smith's bike, um, which gave me the impression that they're suffering from uh, overheating um especially after longer runs so um so this could be this could be a problem and this could really affect them um yeah towards the end of the race
1: yeah i mean certainly we uh, uh, i mean i remember the, the last year and the year before uh, being in the pits and you could tell whenever a ducati came in uh, because it it would come in smelling of sort of you know singed bodywork um because again everything was so tightly compressed and packed uh, that there was no space for really to, to, to be dissipating heat. And that was, uh, again, something you could see, uh, on the photographs of the, uh, uh, of, uh from the Sepang test that there was, uh, that they had uh, all sorts of lagging material on the pipes, uh, on the exhaust pipes, especially the ones down the bottom. So there is a, it's a, it's a small space and, a, and it's generating a lot of heat. Uh, so yeah, that is, at some point is going to start causing people reliability problems. Uh, uh, unless you can actually manage, uh, you know, manage that in the right way. Um, also, I believe that uh, 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 they had a two different engine specs there, two different engine conf- uh, configurations there.
0: Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think Alish was uh, was trying this. Um, I think a simplified view was uh, one had more power but was slightly uh, less reliable um and the other one had less power but was was reliable but at least kind of put paid to those claims and said no it's more down to feeling um but uh, i think he had a clear idea towards the end of day three uh which one he favored so um yeah i mean it's a big ask i think for for a pretty to be up there straight away with such a new bike um but i think potential wise there is, uh, you know, there is a lot to be positive about, and uh, you know, we know from speaking Dalish most race weekends Dave just how enthusiastic he can be, and sometimes you might jump the gun when it comes to expectations. You know, after Sepang, it was this is a podium bike. I'm going to be on the podium this year. I'm telling you, 100. percent And well, yeah, I mean, his pace at Sepang certainly looked that way, but um, yeah, I think they're still some way off that, but. You know, let's not forget a top six for Aprilia would be fantastic at this stage. So, um, you know, I think they, they have the potential for that for sure.
1: Yeah, exactly. And he's got twenty more. You know, he's got twenty more chances to uh, to try to get on the podium. So he's got a uh, he's got a whole season, uh, and there's no doubt that they're going to be making progress. And obviously, um, Aprilia have concessions, so they are not only uh, unlimited in testing, but also they're allowed to change their engines during the year. Um, which I think is going to be crucial for them to actually make uh, progress, because there's, uh, a, as you say, the reliability, reliability is going to be an issue, and so they're going to have to make small tweaks through the year to uh, make sure the things that will uh, will hang together. Um, but uh, I, I suspect it would be rather foolish to put a tenor on uh, uh, on Alish for the podium in Qatar. Uh,
0: I would say that, yes, I would say that, but uh, you know. You're obviously a man with uh, known prediction capabilities, so uh, I'll just let you get (laughs) on with uh, with doing your thing because.
1: Yes, yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, I, I, like I say, I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the podium by the end of the year, but um, uh, it would also not come as a surprise to see uh, uh, Alish Park his bike um uh from out of the leading group uh at uh uh, at the first race so um just no idea um finally ktm um obviously everyone is exceptionally excited about brad binder because binder's uh fast lap was really quite exceptional on the uh, on the final day
0: yeah, it was, right? Uh, ninth, I think you finished the test. Four tenths of yep. a second off uh, Maverick Vinales. Um, now, that is that is some really, really good going uh, from Brad. Um, I mean, we're all massive fans, right? We all think that Brad Binder is going right to the top. When I was in uh, I was in Jerez last week for the uh, Moto2, Moto3 test, and uh, um, Herve Poncherel was there, and I had a bit of a chat with him, a bit of a catch-up, and we were talking about lots of different things MotoGP, uh, and he said with absolute conviction that you know three years time Brad Binder will be fighting with Mark, Mark Marquez for race wins. You know, so he is really you know highly regarded. Um, and yeah, he was uh, he was really really quick on a one lap. You know, his pace I don't think is is that good as you would expect from a rookie on a KTM. Um, you know, he, he said he himself has a lot to improve. Um, and he 's still he 's still learning the bike quite a lot, um but he was saying that what he can gain from following people from seeing what other guys, especially paul can do um is uh is quite exceptional um so you know we tend to see big groups uh, forming together in Qatar at the first race um you know so if Bindu can attach himself to the back of someone that 's quite quick, you know you wouldn 't be surprised to see him hanging in there look i 'm not saying he 's going to be you know in the leading group but Yeah, in a respectable position. Um, But if we're looking at KTM in general, I think they're pretty, yeah, looking all right. Not looking too bad. Um, Paul was saying throughout the test, uh, work for Sunday, not for Saturday. Even though that was hurting him quite a lot. You could really hear how frustrated and pissed off he was at how the final day ended. Because I think he crashed. They had an issue with the clutch. Uh, They had some uh, mechanical issues. And he was... He seemed to be genuinely very pissed off to have finished uh, behind Brad Pinder, unsurprisingly. Um, but I think if you're looking at where he is in general, it's 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 pretty good. It's a, it's a good test, and he was saying that with the uh, the new chassis and KTM's new engine. I mean, not only does it turn better, but the traction is a lot better, and they've made real gains in top speed. Um, I think Paul was as fast as the quickest Honda on one of the days in Qatar. So it's um, it seems to be a lot more rounded uh, that package Um, and uh, yeah again going back to what um, Hervé Pontcharal was saying at Jerez he thinks there will be days when that KTM will be a top 5 bike this year without anyone crashing in front of it
1: yeah, I mean, there's certainly a, a, a lot to look forward to um, uh, from from KTM this year. Uh, as we say, I mean, you know, uh, Brad Binder, Miguel Oliveira also seems to uh, be making a little bit of progress, although with his shoulder, again, it's still a little bit uh, difficult uh, to, to tell. Um where do we expect sort of KTM to finish on the fire, uh, uh, at Qatar on the in the first few races are we going to be i mean they've got to be top 10s right
0: yeah yeah i think uh, top 10 anything outside the top 10 i think would represent a, a pretty disappointing race uh considering where they are in their development right now um i think they've uh, well last year you know they they were quite respectable in Argentina um but it does seem that they've made yeah they've made they've made progress pretty much across the board um Miguel Oliveira was was, was struggling quite a bit in Qatar but I think what uh, what we've seen from Paul um has been positive and, and crucially in previous years I think KTM would be the first to admit that sometimes they got a little bit lost just through the sheer volume of things they were bringing to tests to try um whereas it it seemed that they came to Qatar um not still trying to redesign the wheel having a basic understanding of the fundamentals of the bike and just testing minor things rather than big things um so i think that will that will um, hold them in good stead for the first part of the year (coughs) and yeah as 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 i just said i think a top 10 would be realistic in qatar and um you know when we get back to europe yeah who says they can't be maybe pushing for the top six again at certain racetracks (laughs)
1: That would certainly be extremely exciting. I mean, uh, again, to me, this this proves the value of, uh, of having Danny Pedrosa in in the testing mix in that he can assemble these packages of parts which he thinks work together and hand them off to the to the, to the factory riders. And then they can sort of just work through that to see if it, uh, to see if it works. Um I think we're pretty much coming to the end of the podcast, but I think it's time to reintroduce our winners and losers uh segment, um Neil. So from the pre season testing, who's your big winner of the pre of pre season testing?
0: It's a good question. Um big winner would be well, David, who's your big winner? Let me give me uh five or six seconds here to think uh what would you say?
1: But I mean, the if you like, the obvious answer is Maverick Vinales because he's been so fast all the time. But I think I am going to go with Aprilia because they were looking like an also-ran. They've looked like an also-ran for the past three seasons, three, four seasons, basically since they came back to MotoGP. But this bike looks like a proper MotoGP motorcycle. It looks like it has the potential to actually be competitive um now at the moment it is just compa- you know it is just potential um and it is aprilia and they do tend to go pop um, at an alarming rate um but it really does feel as though this is the bike which could actually get on the podium this is a bike which could actually uh uh, in the right hands be competitive and maybe even tempt away uh a big name rider someone who can really make uh really make the difference between you know sort of uh, winning and, and and fighting for the podium so uh I, uh, I'm really quite excited about uh, about seeing how dev- how Aprilia develops over the over the coming season.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good shot. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Suzuki after uh, contemplating the question for a little while um, because they've had a really solid preseason. Alex Rins uh, looks like he's. Refound his mojo after a bit of a subdued end to last year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Rins hitting podiums from the first race. Um, and Joan Meir has made that step up, I think, more within himself than anything with the bike. Um, but, yeah, Meir looks like a guy that can, I think, win races this year, to be honest. Uh, certainly finish on the podium uh, on multiple occasions. Um, and, you know, speaking to Suzuki's engineers, I mean, that bike does seem to be, you know, even better. They've almost improved the, the very best of, of what the bike could do last year, and that that takes some doing. Um, considering just how well that bike turned and how manoeuvrable it was um, in uh, in years gone by. So, uh, also just for the fact that um, I mean, this is maybe it's all very subjective, of course. But uh, if you were looking at the the factory teams we have this year, uh, which factory teams do you think has two riders that are most likely to win a race? Because I would say it would be Suzuki with Rins and Mir, maybe more so than Yamaha, uh, because Rossi winning a race—that's well, who knows? And then Ducati can Petrucci step up and and win another race this year. I don't know, but I, w- I would put my money on Suzuki. I think for having the uh, the kind of strongest lineup across the board.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a, that's definitely a good shout. They they definitely both look like riders who could um, uh, properly take uh, take points off of each other and, and and battle you know exchange punches as it were all, all season long. Um, they look to be fairly fairly well matched, so that's that's exciting. Um, if uh, Suzuki is your big winner, who's your big loser?
0: Uh, I'm going to say. I'm going to say Cal Crutchlow just for the, just because not from his own doing, but because, I mean, he seems to be in a pretty tough situation in that Honda has put its its eggs in the Marquez basket once again, and uh, hasn't built an easy motorcycle at all to ride. Um, I think it's going to be another tough season i can still see cal you know doing what he did last year scoring podiums in certain certain instances but i think there'll be a couple of you know tough weekends just as there were last year um so it doesn't seem that the the situation within within honda has really changed at all uh from one year ago and for that i would say yeah honda to an extent and and, you know crutchlow in particular because i think it will affect him most
1: yeah, I, I think I mean I would definitely agree with that. Although I think I would go for Alex Marquez, um, not because Marquez is, Alex has done badly. He's actually been really quite impressive in his uh, in his debut. But um, he's stuck uh, in the factory team with his brother, who is controlling um, uh, controlling the direction of uh, of development. And obviously, we saw Mark sign a four year deal, which is uh, genuinely bonkers. Um, and that that means he's pushing. Di- it means he's pushing di- development. Um, because he was having shoulder surgery again. Honda th- that that helps. That meant that Honda got lost again a little bit. Um, uh, Alex Marquez, I think, spent all of his time on the old stuff. He's right at the bottom of the development uh, pecking order, which makes sense. He's a rookie. Um, but it. He really faces uh, a bit of an uphill row this uh, uh, this the, the, certainly in the in the first half of this year, um, and it's going to be a it's going to be a real test of character above all. I think. I mean, like honestly, the the preseason took away a lot of my doubts about his talent. But there's a difference between you know talent will only get you so far on a on this bike. You know, he's not Mark. Um, nobody is Mark. Um, he's a very good rider, but he faces, like Cal Crutchlow, a really tough time on what is a really, really uh, difficult bike. So he's, you know, welcome to MotoGP, mate. Um, uh, d- have fun, why don't you? Uh, it's it's going to be a bit of a, a bit a bit of a tough start, I think. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, agreed with that, Div. And uh, well, how about I just put you on the spot? What's going to be the podium at the first race then? i no, asking for your particular um, order as well.
1: That is, I mean, honestly, I think, I mean, my head says it doesn't make any sense that Mark Marquez would be anywhere near the podium. But then, I mean there's no point I mean they used to say you never bet against Valentino Rossi but we're in the Marquez era now so you never bet against uh, against Mark Marquez so I would not be surprised to see him on, uh, on the podium however I don't think he's going to win um, as you were saying earlier it's about whether the Yamahas and the Suzuki's can get away Um I have a sneaking feeling that we're going to see Fabio Quartararo's first uh, first win this uh, this year uh, at Qatar. I think uh, it's going to be, let's say, I think it's going to be Quartararo, Rins, and uh, Marquez. Oh.
0: Had to uh, had to dull one of my expletives because that is uh, pretty much what <laughs> I was going to predict as well. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I think <laughs> Quartararo, just because you can't count on Vinala's starting the race brilliantly or doing well in the first laps yet. Maybe he's changed, but that remains to be seen. I think things are looking pretty good for Fabio. Um, So, yeah, I think it's going to be Fabio, Mark Rins. I think Dovi will be up there. Davizio's will be up there as well. But, yeah, those are the…
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, to me, I think you're going to see of it up there you'll see vinales up there you might even see rossi up there um uh, yeah mir you're gonna see up there you know based on his race pace maybe even petrucci
0: or morbidelli Uh,
1: i think yeah i I think and miller yeah 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 i mean it's gonna be a really really uh, i think it's gonna be an interesting first race i think anyone is gonna run away with it um but, um, it's going to be, and it's going to be very interesting for how it sets the tone of the championship because, uh, if Marquez finishes just behind Dovichioso then that gives Marquez a really strong uh, uh you know a really strong start. If he finishes off the podium how does that affect him? If Dovichioso finishes behind Marquez how does that affect him? If Vinales uh, finishes behind uh, behind Marquez in the first race you know are we going to see a return to Mardi Ma- uh, Mardi Maverick? It's um <laughs> it's really it it it's going to be very interesting. And again as as you said at the start it's not really going to matter very much anyway just because the first few races are so odd with qatar with thailand uh races with tracks we don't go to very often uh argentina which is um, a fantastic track which sadly doesn't get get the use which it deserves uh, a which has been resurfaced and is bumpy and is um uh, again a really really odd track um, so it, it you know it we're not really going to learn very much from these very from these first few races anyway but um that won't stop us speculating obviously yeah nothing we're going to do, go do that
0: yeah and one thing just it came to me there that we haven't mentioned when we were talking about honda's difficulties is uh, marquez's right shoulder because um you know last year what he did to get back to racing fitness was remarkable um but that was basically building up the strength in his shoulder. Um, this year, it's obviously been a little bit of nerve damage in his right shoulder, and that is still causing him quite considerable pain. And from what I've gathered, you know, that will not, you know, the, the kind of recovery of a damaged nerve isn't really linear. So the kind of he's been, been able to build up the strength of of the shoulder, okay, but from what I gather still causing them quite a lot of discomfort, and crucially that's in the right shoulder so um aside from coda, all the other tracks that we go to the first eight races of the year, nine races of the year are clockwise so majority right corners so that you know that could play into it as well, you know but we're we're talking about Mark Marquez here. Uh, a guy that's riding at the absolute peak of his powers, so I, I still expect him to be up there fighting for podiums from the start. But um, yeah, something to something to consider.
1: And of course, the other the, the other thing is that uh, uh, last year we had a couple of big breaks. We had, uh, uh, I think, three weeks three weeks after Qatar. We had three weeks after Khareh or, or before Khareh between um, uh, Kota and um, uh This year, with Thailand being moved. Then it means we've got, you know, a race every two weeks. So that's a lot less recovery time. That extra free weekend just to rest and really work on strength and fitness makes a big, big difference. So I think that that, that's going to be a factor. And then there's the coronavirus. So um, uh, by the time you listener could be hearing this, you could be, um, uh, we could be sitting at home still. We still have no idea how that's going to play out. As far as we know, everything is going to go ahead as normal. Um, but it's down to governments and the restrictions they decide to put in place or not. That's going to be that. That's going to be the big uh, the big issue, I think.
0: Yeah, certainly. When you see, for example, Dave, just before we recorded this, there was news that um, the uh, Six Nations rugby game between Ireland and Italy has been uh, postponed um, because of uh, because of the outbreak of uh, the coronavirus in Italy. And you know, it just so happens that quite a lot of the paddock comes from Italy, including. Lots of teams and factories, equipment, personnel. Um, yeah. So yeah. Who knows? Who knows? We don't want to. We don't want to idly idly speculate. But um, yeah, this could this could have a real impact on the start of the year
1: yeah big because some of the uh, uh some of the italian uh, team members were staying out in qatar uh, because you know they all come from the north of italy where this uh, where they um where the outbreak seems to be and uh, a lot of the japanese uh, uh, team members were staying as well so yeah really i mean there is nothing sensible we can say about it, other than that it is a completely unknown factor and could be a real wild card. Um, we you have absolutely no idea how this is going to play out, so uh, we shall we shall have to wait and see. Um, last question, Neil: Are you excited about the start of the season? Yeah, I
0: really am. Really excited, Div. Um, you know, two two and a half long months. You know, you get to the end of a year and you're a bit tired, uh, a bit exhausted. Uh, a bit drained of uh, of energy and enthusiasm, but um, you know, getting back to Jerez for the Moto Two, Moto Three test last week, there was lots of interesting storylines there. Um, the same can be said for um, for Moto GP in Qatar. I think it's going to be another really exceptional year uh, of racing. I think there's a there's a clear favourite, um, but that is not to say it's not going to be closely contested and exciting. And when you consider in Qatar, I mean, the top twelve riders were covered by less than half a second. If anything, things have got a wee bit tighter um, In MotoGP When we compare it to the past few years And that, that really is going some um, 20 <laughs> riders covered by 1.4 seconds 20, 19 riders covered by 1.1 I mean, yeah it's uh, There's not a lot in there And uh, yeah, I think um, I can see maybe 7, seven riders, maybe 8 If uh, conditions go right 8 riders uh, winning races this year um, Yeah, I think it's going to be another good one
1: yeah, same. Absolutely excited. I don't think it's going to be another 2019 where Mark uh, sort of quietly runs away with it. Um, I think it, it doesn't feel like Honda have made the step forward that, uh, for example, Suzuki and Yamaha have. Uh, the Ducati's good. Uh, it's going to be difficult and you know the championship is going to be a bit of a mess just because it looks like there are so many riders who could be competitive you know if fabio is uh is competitive from the start that that um mixes the championship up uh if Vinales is quick from the start um you know he's he's obviously going to be a favorite to uh, to to take the fight to mark but it could be difficult just because there are so many other people who could be getting there um, in, in, in the mix so um, yeah i think um, i think we're both going to be as uh, as eager as uh, as eager as schoolboys on a first date uh, when we uh, when we by the time we get to qatar um
0: so you actually managed to get a dip when you are a schoolboy <laughs> better than me well me.
1: yeah but it w- it, w- it wasn't school i was eager about neil <laughs> Although uh, possibly my uh, my English teacher, I was quite excited about um, uh, about my English teacher, but um, <laughs> that's that's a story for another time. Um, you should ask next time you see my good friend John. You shall have to ask him about uh, about our English teacher.
0: Yeah, that'll be a, that'll be another podcast episode for Patreon <laughs> <and> subscribers.
1: <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes, yes, paddock pass podcast, the triple X edition
0: behind the paywall. Right.
1: Um, uh, <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, uh, Neil Morrison. Um, thank you very much indeed, uh, listeners. The, um, this was the Paddock Pass Podcast. You can find us on uh, the various social media outlets which exist out there in the world um, on the Twitter um, at Paddock Pass Pod. Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the uh, these podcasts and if you would like to get some exclusive material, then I strongly suggest you head over to patreon.com slash paddockpasspodcast. Uh, chip in a little bit of money, $3 and you, three dollars a month, and you get um, uh, access to various exclusive bits and pieces behind the scenes. Uh, chip in $10 a month, and we will regularly ask uh, answer your questions for you. So that is definitely worth doing. If you really want to know how things work, we can tell you.
0: Yep, I was down in the reth last week, Dave, uh, picking up some content from uh, certain Moto2 riders. Uh, there should be interviews with uh, Thomas Lüthi, Augusto Fernandez, Remy Gardner and Jorge Martin uh, being added up there as well. So uh, yeah, lots to look forward to if you're a Patreon member
1: yep absolutely worth your while worth your time and we appreciate it Um, we appreciate uh, your support Um, so anyway thank you very much and we should have another episode very soon
0: well very nicely done sir
1: yes yes good shout good um uh, good podcast i think that went well except except for me coughing and honestly i don't have the coronavirus orist honest